Hello, baby. Want a kiss? Welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast with your host, Ken Hess. Teaching a parakeet to talk is fun, but the old method took too much time and patience. This record is specially designed to teach any healthy, normal parakeet to talk by using a scientific new method that is acknowledged to be far superior because a carefully trained voice, specially chosen for excellence in clarity and diction, repeats over and 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 over the same words, the same phrase, in a manner that most parakeets are most likely to imitate. Check experimentalfilm.info for information, interviews, and episodes. For the next few seconds, this record will be silent. This podcast is dedicated exclusively to experimental film and its makers. Welcome, everyone, to episode 14 of the Experimental Film Podcast. Today's guest is Kate Pelling. Kate is a British artist and filmmaker who lives in Germany. Her film, I'm Sorry I Abandon You, is an official selection in the Experimental Film Fest. Welcome to the show, Kate. Hi, thank you for having me. No problem. It's it's great to have you on. I was I was hoping to get you on to discuss your film because it's so unusual and, and so cool. But before I spoil it or tell anybody anything else, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Okay, yes. Um, I've been an artist for a long time and I've been using video for the last 18 years. Originally, I started using video as a way to improve my drawing. It was a a functional thing. (laughs) Um, I wanted to film myself drawing so that I could see how I could make it better. Uh, But then it developed into a fully-fledged experimental film practice. Um, And I focused on direct-address-to-camera for many years. Um, My PhD was actually about editing speech in direct-address-to-camera. I finished that in 2016, uh, but I moved to Germany in 2013. So during that time, moving countries and uh, setting up in a new, a new place, um, I stopped making video for a few years, for six years, um, focused entirely on my drawing practice. Um, and so this film was a return to video, a rather triumphant return, because now I can actually do it again. <laughs> Yeah, it's very cool. I love it. I, it's unusual. I've never seen anything quite like it before. <laughs> In fact, I, I have lots of questions about it. But uh, why don't you take a moment and describe the film itself, if you'd like? Yes. Um, it's direct addressed to camera. So it's me speaking directly to the camera. And uh, the process that I've used is a, a process called blind editing. Um, which means I record the director just to camera, and then when I go to edit it, I don't look at the timeline on the computer. I make cuts without looking where they're going, um, which is an experimental process. Um, <laughs> and the the results can be, I could cut through the middle of a word, and it could make no sense, and I could cut out a, a whole chunk that maybe was quite good but it's gone because of the process. <laughs> so it's a very dramatic, brutal process that it yeah. goes through. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's actually based on a transdiscipl- it's transdisciplinary, which means um, I'm using a method from a drawing process. Blind drawing is actually a really common pro- um, way that people, thing that people use in the drawing um, 
community and um, it's, it's very common but uh, yeah, it's very uncommon in video editing <laughs> yeah like I said I've never seen anything like this and it's it's so cool and I was so intrigued by it uh, I watched it multiple times watched it again <laughs> twice this morning <laughs> and, and so I, you know at first I thought I think the first couple of times I watched it I tried to figure out if you were behind a, a glass or something because you're superimposed. The drawing is superimposed over you, mm -hmm. but it's an exact mm -hmm. match. It's, it's so mm -hmm. cool. Um, how did you do that? If you, if you want to tell us. Uh, no, happy to. Um, it is superimposed. Um, there's, there's um, several layers in there. There's the original me speaking, and then there's a drawing of me that's taken from one of the stills. Um, and that stays still for the whole two minutes, something. Um, and that is superimposed on top. And there's, it's not completely taken out all of the white. So there's a little bit of, um, like I am looking through a very sort of sheer screen, but it's all digital. Oh, okay, cool. Mm. Uh, well, it, it's, like I said, it's so unusual. I've uh, I was just um, extremely in intrigued by it and how you did it. It's like, oh, wow, this is, you know, a really cool concept. How did you come up with this idea? Uh, I was studying um, the editing of speech. Um, when we speak, <laughs> there's, um, we edit our speech as we speak, sometimes successfully, and we say something very articulate <laughs> and sometimes not so successfully. And we go uh, uh, a lot, <laughs> but we are constantly editing in our heads when we speak. Um, and I realized that when I'm recording myself speaking, I'm doing this double editing process. So it's already a layered editing process. Um, and that's when the sort of experimental editing, I was looking at the editing of the speech and how, the pro how we go about that because there's lots of ways we can edit speech through video um, we can do it on the timeline we can put subtitles which re-edit the speech and change it or correct it um, there's lots and lots of different ways of doing it you find that when you see yourself on video with this direct address to camera is it is it something you enjoy i mean the feedback <laughs> from it I noticed when I'm on camera directing, uh, you know, looking directly at the camera and speaking, for some strange reason, I seem to talk out one side of my mouth and I hate that. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe I do that. I've never done that before in my life. Why do I, why do, I do that? So it is it is enlightening, isn't it? it very, 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 yes. Um, and nobody likes the sound of their own voice. And that's a biological thing because it vibrates when we speak and when we listen to ourselves we can't it doesn't vibrate anyway um yeah for the first 10 years I wore a costume I was a clown and I was lots of different things because I couldn't bear to see myself <laughs> and I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't want to it was also a bit boring to have always the same base footage to work with um so if I dressed up as a clown or I did if I looked different every time then it made it a little bit more interesting for me and then I got other people in front of my camera and that made it more interesting cutting up somebody else's speech is right. challenging <laughs> so you um completed your PhD at Chelsea Chelsea College of Art in London yeah and what was your 
in the states we call it dissertation you might call it thesis there um mm. what what was your topic again um the whole thing was called select reject reconfigure editing speech in artists direct address to camera so it was all about linguistics and um this speech editing process and i was just i was looking at mainstream cinema editing and how artists edit film and we have to use the same software we have to use final cut and we have to use um premiere and all the same software that the mainstream um video editors use and so i wanted there to be a new language for us to talk about editing in in artist film and video and i thought this transdisciplinary of approach made a lot of sense because using drawing processes within artist film um means that we're not relying on mainstream film processes completely right. does that make sense yeah. <laughs> was this film part of your phd project no no this was um my PhD finished in 2016 and I finished making the videos related to that in 2014. So this is my first film, uh my first video since then after a period of 6 years. But <laughs> but I'm still thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's you can't study something for for 10 years and then just sort of drop it. Like I thought I had I thought I'd abandoned it. But apparently I'm still still challenging it and still wanting to know how it all works. So it, is that because of what you just said the title I'm sorry I abandoned you is that what you're referring to? Yes, it's it's a double meaning because um I did abandon my my research into editing and I focused completely on drawing for 6 years. Um and also um there was an accusation that I abandoned the UK. Um just before brexit happened <laughs> so um there was a th somebody said that it was leaving the country was the easy solution and you should stay and fight but no i left because i needed to put myself first well i'm glad you did uh, yeah. the film is very intriguing and incredible and like i said i've never seen anything like it and, and there must be a lot of um introspective insight i guess you might say to not only drawing a self portrait which many art teachers have you do i guess mm. for that perspective and then also to directly address the camera i mean mm -hmm. that, that feedback i mean that's kind of your your whole thing is the feedback yeah. from a camera mm. talking to things that aren't there is my whole thing even my drawing is about that incredible I I wish that you hadn't abandoned it and I'm hoping this gives you the impetus to to go forward with your filmmaking and your drawing and your yeah. uh the the whole uh interdisciplinary um, mm. combination to create these these kinds of films Yeah thank you thank you and I I did go the other direction in between so I said I I focused on drawing but there was two books uh that I artist publications that I made in that 6 years um that were based on video but drawing so instead of being videos that were informed by drawing these were drawings that were informed by video if that makes sense um one of them i took the video camera for a walk around my new town that i live in now in germany and um and then edited stills of those um of that those trips uh in the book so you the book is sort of video stills with drawings on top of them 
Uh, and the other book, Peha uh, Beitungsklappe, um, is a video from through my letterbox, looking out onto the street outside my house. And it was everything that passed through that frame during one day. And then I edited these images multiple times and they, they made up the book. So um, I, I didn't completely abandon uh, the video editing, just the actual video side of it wasn't, a, wasn't my primary focus anymore. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that idea of, of shooting out your letterbox. That's, <laughs> I've never thought about that either. So It's a strange frame. It's a very long, thin frame. Yeah. <laughs> You're spoiling my whole life now. Now I have all these creative <laughs> things to go and try. <laughs> And it's surprising who walks past your house in one day. I'll bet. Cats, cars, yeah, people, interesting. <laughs> your film, I'm Sorry I Abandoned You, how long did it take you to complete the film, let's say from conception all the way to uh, final cut? I think conception was quite a long time because it, it had been such a long time since I'd actually made a film. I had to buy a new video camera. <laughs> because all of my technology was out of date because it was six years. And that sounds like a short time, but technology, that's a very long time. And I had to buy a new camera and um, several, you know, all new software and everything, everything had to be new. Um, and so making it happen took a little bit of time. Um, and then I recorded it in October last year. Um and my process of recording is is quite unusual as well. Um, I don't plan in advance. I don't make uh, storyboards. I don't do anything. Um, I don't plan at all what I say. And I just set up the camera and I sit there and I talk for half an hour. And if I have something to say, then that's good. And if I don't, then it's tough. That's what I've got. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's... Um, it's not exactly improvisation because that would make it performance. It's more just talking to the camera. Um, and so there's no preparation involved in that at all, other than I, I have to think visually, you know, what do I, do I wear a t-shirt? What, what, what needs to be behind me? What's the clear, uh, background behind me? Um, so that actually, pro the, the filming takes a very short time because of that setting up somewhere to film and then recording for half an hour yeah. uh, and then the editing took quite a long time because I kept changing my mind about um, particularly the drawings that would go over the top of it um, because um, the drawings were there to highlight the fact that there's a connection between the editing and it's this drawing process that is part of the editing um, but they also created a kind of narrative because it was something visually happening in front of you because it's not, there's not a lot happening otherwise. It's just me right. speaking. Um, so that actually took quite a long time. Well, it's interesting because um, filmmakers, especially experimental filmmakers, all seem to have their own process. Some mm -hmm. are very meticulous in creating storyboards and a storyline, and they know exactly where they want the edits to go. And it's not uh, any of an organic process at all mm -hmm. it's it's strictly mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. by the book mm -hmm. but yours you like you said you don't storyboard and so on yours is strictly organic yeah it seems to work yeah in times of mini dv tapes i'm sure you remember those oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were an hour long the ones i bought anyway were an hour long and i didn't like to waste it so i used to sit there for an hour and talk 
now I love SD cards because I don't have that time restriction anymore right. that makes me sit there for an hour. Uh, and the first time I put other people in front of my camera, I set them, set them up and said, I'm going to leave the room now. You have an hour. And it was torture, unfortunately. I didn't realize that I was putting my friends through this sort of torture. <laughs> Because it's actually really quite painful sitting there and feeling that you have to say something and there's no response, nothing coming back. Right. <laughs> well, if you've ever seen any of Andy Warhol's experimental yeah. films, he has one where he's holding his pug and they mm -hmm. just he just stands there the whole time. He says nothing. So maybe he has <laughs> that same block. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, somebody said to me once about one of the films, they went is that the film where you don't say anything for a very long time? And it's like, yes, that's the one. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So how did your process begin in this sort of juxtapositioning of the drawings and, you know, you speaking behind it? I mean, how did that, how did that develop? I mean, cause that's a very unusual concept. Mm. It, it was really this very first moment of, of, of getting a video camera so I could improve my drawing. It, this really very first moment of this, if I can watch myself drawing, I will see what the problem is that I was having at the moment, at the time. And then I watched the video and the video is much more interesting than the drawings that I was making at the, at the time. Um, and But the, the first two or three videos were just my arm, just drawing. I, di I didn't want to be in the video at all. <laughs> Um, and then it, it became clear that I, if I wanted to make a video, I had to sit in front of it because, because <laughs> there had to be something happening other than my hand moving. Yeah. Um, and as soon as I sat in front, there was, it just opened up this whole world of things that, that would, could have possibly happen. Um, and it was my 2010 video, A Conversation With Myself, that really changed my whole practice. Because that was the first time I, I I said this is all about editing, this is all about how I'm framed, and it's all about how I cut it, and I can change what you hear of what I'm saying through the editing, and present something else. So it's it's quite a difficult watch. It's about seven or eight minutes, but it's um, but it's a, a career divining video for me. Oh, 2010. Gosh, a long time ago now. Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem that long ago, does it? <laughs> I know my whole life I looked forward to the year 2000 because it was supposed to be, you know, space travel and people floating in cars and things. But, uh, Millennium bug. Yeah. And then, you know, really nothing happened. So, yeah. Kind of a yeah. disappointment. So, 20 years in, we have video cameras that we use instead of 16 millimeter or 8 millimeter. Yeah. Which is much better, I think. I love digital. It finally caught up with my laziness. So <laughs> I don't think I could sit and edit film, physical film. It's just too tedious for me. I don't have the, I don't know, I think I have attention deficit disorder or something. <laughs> I just can't, I can't do it. I can't focus that long on something. Yeah. I, I, yeah, at one point I was making a new video every month. I was really, really productive and really, really sort of churning them out very, very fast. Um, because with my process, it's possible to do that. Um, but and, uh, same as you, I don't have the patience to work on one thing for a year. I think it drives me crazy when something takes too long. Um, the, the, bo the books of drawing that I've been working on, the last one took two years to make, and it was like, oh, God, 
I don't want to see it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way about my drawings. You know, I, I draw and my daughter is an artist as well. Oh, lovely. But I feel like if I can't finish a drawing at one sitting, I never go back mm-hmm. and add to a drawing or something because it was a it was a particular moment in time and I drew it the way I felt that day. And, and mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird, but I do all these. Um, my thing has been making uh, faces mm-hmm. and I draw faces. And while they're all similar, they're all very different. My wife said, oh, my gosh, you need to, you know, make a big wall of these and display them somewhere uh, because they're, you know, like I said, they're they're similar, but they're also all very different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of an unusual so they, thing. So they would work together as a group. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but mm-hmm. anyway, in your film, you said you used the Kuleshov effect. Can you yeah. talk about that a little bit? You're listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess. And now, back to the show. Uh, Kuleshov is, is just so amazing. Um and such old research now, but it, it's when you when you juxtapose two images, uh, you put them next to each other, they have an effect. So if I think Kulshov used, was it a picture of a face with no expression on it and then a picture of a coffin or something? And everybody said, oh, that's a sad face because they saw the coffin and they sort of imposed their own feeling onto it because of the association with the images. Um, so combining images can create narrative in a way that isn't in the image to start with, um, which is absolutely fascinating. And so these these very abstract drawings, which were made using blind drawing, so I'm not looking at the, uh, these were digital, so I'm not looking at the screen when I'm making them. Um, they didn't have meaning in their own way. Individually, they didn't have any particular meaning. But putting them over the video at certain points um, could create meaning uh, or create narrative in a way. So I think there's one point where I talk about many opportunities or something something like that. And then the drawing has a, is sort of a many-headed thing. <laughs> around me so it it sort of emphasizes or creates a point of where the cut happens or yeah so the drawings have purpose in that way whereas as drawings they don't really have much purpose on their own right yeah um one of the things that intrigued me about the film is the and it's probably easy for you to do but it's it was just stunning to me that you're the same size as the drawing it almost looks like (laughs) you know that you came out of the drawing. It was really quite cool. I don't know how you got the um, perspective and everything. Uh, that's why I thought it might have been a, a second person who drew you on a piece of glass or something and you were behind it because it's, it's so perfectly sized. Yeah, that took a little while. <laughs> uh, I imported the drawing into the video and it was huge. And it was like, oh. <laughs> so I had to fiddle with the size of it. Um, until it was, yeah, that was quite important that it was, it was me and it was part of me and that I would come in and out of it as I moved very slightly. Um, you could see that there was a drawing there. So there needed to be something fixed because, um, the editing process, the, the drawings around it, even what I'm saying is quite sort of, there's nothing holding it down. So I needed an anchor of some sort. Yeah, that was quite 
Hmm? I'm sorry. I, I think it'd be really cool to have, um, and I just thought of this a few minutes ago, that <clears throat> it would be kind of cool to have an entire experimental documentary shot like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we have different people and kind of create your own B-roll with um, drawings. Mm, yeah. Yeah, cool. that would be interesting. Kind of um, There's the- your next project. yeah it's very different editing other people in in because in a way when you do when you speak it to a camera yourself um i don't mind cutting up what i say i don't mind looking stupid i've dressed as a clown i was elvis for three years on on in videos (laughs) (laughs) so it really doesn't matter what i make myself look like but with other people in front of my camera, I felt quite precious about how I was editing them. Um, and and so that's quite interesting. So, but yeah, you're right. Maybe I should go back to having other people in there and sort of this sort of layering with drawings and uh, different frames. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. So um, to kind of change gears for a moment, uh, which films and filmmakers inspire you? Uh, um, so many so so many um yeah i i think uh, direct address to camera is a really well-known tool process um and a lot of people have used it uh which means i have a lot a broad range of, of things that i can look at uh, and different uses in, in mainstream film as well as experimental film and in in sort of you know youtube videos and things like that it's not only art that I can look at, I can look at a really broad range of things. Um, but particular artists that I like that have helped have been uh, Kevin Atherton. Do you know Kevin Atherton? No, I'm not familiar. Ah, he made a film called In Two Minds in 1978 where he was speaking to the camera, but he was there was two screens and he was interviewing himself. And that was that's a really nice piece. Oh, uh, the same guy who did the one where he... There's a film being projected on a screen, and he cuts through the screen and puts his head through. Is that the same? Uh, it sounds like something he would do, but I can't. I can't remember him doing that. Uh, he did a lot of work with using uh, Coronation Street, which is a soap opera in the UK, um, and and sort of yeah, doing sort of um, contemporary um, cultural stuff with that from the 1970s and 80s um yeah well yeah look it up (laughs) in two minds yeah um and also peter rose the pressures of the text that was a really important video really love peter rhodes and his rose and his whole sort of um really intelligent film it's really really wonderful the pressures of the text is 1983 um and colin campbell as well, who was Canadian, I believe. Colin Campbell? Not sure. No? Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've got a list here. I thought. Uh, so, more contemporary ones are Roland Vegera. He did a p- film called This Is My Voice in 2010, which is wonderful. Um, he has a stutter. And so he filmed himself saying the same thing many times, but of course it came out very different every time. Um, I don't know whether the stutter was performed for the video or whether that's his natural stutter, um, but it worked as a piece of work very, very well. Very interesting. 
Um, and also Joan Jonas and Takahiko Imura and uh, Maya Deren and Nancy Holt and Richard Sarah Boomerang from 1974. That's a really interesting piece because she's listening to her words coming back to her and it's messing with her editing in her head. <laughs> hmm. That's funny. And now I've got some research to do. I've got yeah. new things to discover. I appreciate that. It, it's a different cultural perspective, isn't it? I have mostly UK artists that I, I know of, and now I'm in Germany, and nobody's ever heard of them, and it's a whole different set of things I have to learn here as well. So it's very interesting um, how local uh, knowledge can be around experimental right. film, I think. Yeah, I would assume Hans Richter and uh, some of the early German filmmakers mm-hmm. would be very popular there. Yes, yeah. You know, experimental film is kind of a big deal in Germany. Uh, yeah. That, they were some of the earliest experimental filmmakers, and uh, they've always sort of been on the edge of the avant-garde, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be a, that would be kind of a cool place to be. And in fact, my next question is, are you involved in any local film groups or meetups or other film-related activities? Um, not at the moment. It's quite strange that even when I was in London, my career was always global I would always uh, be showing my work usually outside of the country where I was <laughs> and that's I thought that would change when I moved to Germany I was like oh now I can be in Germany and I can show in Germany but that hasn't actually happened and I'm still showing work uh, in other countries <laughs> well what I've noticed about Germany because I've actually submitted to some festivals there hmm? they really love the offbeat you know Anything sort of, um, I don't even know if I can explain it, but anything really unusual, really mm-hmm. out there, they, they really appreciate that. And I seem to have, sort of have that aesthetic about my films. So That's great. <laughs> it's been um, quite cool. Plus, having a last name of Hess doesn't hurt. So That, hurt. <laughs> that wouldn't hurt either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess it depends on your perspective on that one as well, but... <laughs> It's not a. It's not such a great name to have in certain circles. That's so, true. But anyway, we're we're going yeah. to ignore that part. And let bygones be bygones. Yeah. <laughs> so. And when when my German improves, maybe I'll do a bilingual video, but I'm not there yet. Because oh no, German be is really, cool. really, really difficult. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, it's a very uh, harsh, guttural language. Yeah, there's just so much grammar, so much grammar. Well, you know, the reason the reason that is, is they actually speak in um, thee and thou, you know, what do you call it? Um, not Elizabethan, uh, Shakespearean type, I guess, or Old English or Middle English. Oh, I, I can't yeah. remember. But yeah, if you interpret it directly, like do hast is thou hast. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's... It's really old, and that's why it's so hard for us to understand, plus the word order. The word order's crazy, and yeah. yeah, 30 different endings for an adjective, and yeah. Yeah, and they have, um, <laughs> I, I studied it some myself in, in college, and it's, it is very, to me, I found it very hard. To me, Japanese was much easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> I seem to have a real affinity for Japanese for some strange reason, so uh Maybe in a former life I was Japanese. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> so, uh, what are you working on now? Um, I've just two weeks ago released a new book, and uh, that was Conversations in Harlem, uh, 
That's a book of drawings and it's available on Amazon and on my website uh, and on the Fifth Floor Publications website. Um, that's very exciting to finally have a project like that off my desk. So now I can actually make another video <laughs> now that that's finished. Um, so that's my plan to make make another video very, very soon. I'm also working on a collaborative drawing project with nine other artists at the moment, which is very exciting. Uh, and there will be a book related to that as well. Yeah. And um, and doing sort of other little drawing projects like drawing the TV while I'm instead of watching TV, I'm now drawing while I'm watching. So I end up with these lovely sort of abstract drawings that have some sort of frame. You can see that there's structure to them because of how the TV is filmed, but it's moving all the time. So it's not just one frame. It's many frames on top of each other. The Harlem in your book, is that uh, <clears throat> New York City or is that the original Dutch Harlem? That's the Dutch one. Okay. <laughs> I went there for one day and I drew people um, because I wanted to talk to an artist, but he was long gone. And so I, I had conversations, imaginary conversations with the people of Harlem, but the drawings are the conversations. Oh, that's very cool. Uh, it's a lovely book. Yeah. Very proud of that. Is it available on Amazon? It is. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah. All over the world. Check that out. <laughs> Kate Pelling's book. Uh, what was the name again? Conversations in Harlem. Conversations in Harlem. Okay, I'm going to check that out on Amazon. That's I'm, great. I'm a Prime member, so I get free shipping and stuff. So. Ah, fantastic. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was great to speak with you. And could you let us know if you have a website or other ways for our audience to engage with your work? Yes, I have a, a website that's continuously being built. It's not exactly finished, but it's it's on its way. <laughs> Uh, it's katepelling.com. Uh, and I also have fifthfloorpublications.com. That's the publicate the artist books side of things. And I'm open for um, proposals for artist books as well. If anybody wants to make a, an artist, artist book that's transdisciplinary in nature, preferably to do with video or drawing. Oh, very cool. So yeah. you're a publisher as well. Yes, yes. Very cool. My <laughs> I like that. So you're kind of a, a renaissance woman. Yes, <laughs> is the transdisciplinary got a uh, finger in every pie? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, you have to stay busy in Germany. I mean, come on, what's there to do in Germany, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> too much to do. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, it's like living in in uh, New York or some other exciting place. It's like there's so much to do, so much to see, and the you know the food, the you know yeah. everything, the whole atmosphere. So, are you glad you made a your own Brexit? It's it's the best thing I've ever done moving here, and I'm right in I'm near Frankfurt, so I'm right in the centre of Germany and uh, right in the centre of Europe, really. So I can travel anywhere from here, which is really exciting. Mm, that's yeah. Cool. So yeah. What's, it, what's it like to to leave your home country for another? And I mean, is it is it disorienting or is it you know energizing? Um, I had a, a funny experience with that because somebody I know left the country and she cried all the way to the airport and she cried on the plane and then she was crying when she got to the new country and I just went, bye, see ya. <laughs> just left. It was, I mean, it took two years, the process leading up to the move um, because I had I was buying a house here. Um, and so, so by the time I actually left, I, I had completely emotionally detached myself from the place. <laughs> 
Hmm. Um, and it really is the best thing I've ever done, really is. I have more opportunities in, in Germany and there's just much more um, much more going on here. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm well, glad. I'm, I'm glad, you know, uh, it's a funny thing about Britain. It seems like a lot of people, okay, historically, and you, I'm sure you know this, Britons didn't move. No. You know, that's why the accents were so regional. Mm-hmm. And you, know, mm-hmm. you could tell that someone was from Sussex instead of yeah. Essex because you could hear it in the accent. I used to be able yeah, to. Yeah, still can. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I used to be able to discern a lot of accents. Like I could tell uh, Lancashire from, say, Manchester and, and so on. It's easy for mm-hmm. you guys, but for someone outside the country. But I hear mm-hmm. it and I go, ah, you're from Manchester, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who uh, moved from Manchester to the States, and it's it's very interesting. We talk about language all the time, and I mm-hmm. actually wanted him to do uh, play an English person in one of my films, and he's been here so long now, it's at least 20 years, he goes, I think I'm going to have to practice the accent because I don't <laughs> think I have it anymore. I go, no, Andy, you really do. You still have the accent. It may not be a, a Manchester accent anymore, but it's still British enough to tell you that you're British. And most Americans don't know, you know, accents. They just know, oh, that's a British accent. That's yeah. cool, you know. Yeah. yeah. When I visited the UK and one of my friends said, you speak much slower and more carefully than you did a couple of years ago. <laughs> because now I speak to people and English is their second language and I have to speak more clearly and I can't use idioms anymore um, because nobody knows what I'm talking about if I say, you know, that'll kill two birds with one stone. Right, yeah. (laughs) What? And and Britain has a lot of idioms, as it turns out. Yes. I think it was uh, Winston Churchill that called America and Britain two countries separated by a common language. I find yes. it. I find language <laughs> fascinating. That's why it's so cool to talk with you because you're into language. Yeah, I, I find well, it. One of my one of my favorite things about the American language um, compared to British English is um, the the way you explain things in the word that you use. So in um, uh, instead of a bin, you would say waste paper basket. <laughs> To right. say this is what it is and this is what you put in it, right? And, and instead of horse riding that people do in the UK, you go horseback riding because you have to indicate where the person has to sit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> like there would be any other place to be on that horse. Exactly. <laughs> well, I really prefer stomach riding myself. But you know. It's yeah, very funny. It, it is. It is quite fun. I used to mess with. Andy and some of my other British friends quite a bit about the language. I go, look, the word is school. And then you say schedule. Stop that. It's school <laughs> and schedule. Stick with one here. Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite fun, though. I, I really enjoy language and expressions and uh, you know, having taken German in college, it was really enlightening to kind of see where the English language evolved from, you know, having that um, Germanic tongue, as they say, mm-hmm. you know, and especially all the, the, the old, it's almost like a, well, I'll tell you, biblical English and ger- modern German are mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very, yeah, it's old, like, the equivalent of old English, like there's no continuous tense. 
Um, so in Shakespearean English, they would say uh, they know not what they did. And we would say in contemporary English, they don't know what they're doing. Right. But in German, it would still be they know not what they did. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that makes it really hard. I bet in uh, King James Day, uh, it was a lot easier to speak German. Maybe that's why there mm-hmm. are so many Germans in the royal family. historically speaking the royal family is uh, much more german German than it is british yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. i thought that was pretty interesting (laughs) so anyway we could go on and on couldn't we yeah Yeah. (laughs) so uh thank you for being on today it was a, a real pleasure and if you have other projects that you would like to speak about in the future just let me know and we'll have you back on That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. And thank you for inviting me. It's been really interesting. No problem. Be sure to visit katepelling.com. I will have her um, website on the the associated article with this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank you for joining us on this 14th episode of the Experimental Film Podcast. Our guest today was Kate Pelling, artist and experimental filmmaker. Please contact me if you'd like to schedule an interview sponsor the podcast, or point me to some cool experimental films, and we'll see you next time. If you would like to sponsor a podcast or schedule an interview, send an email to ken at experimentalfilm.info. Thanks for listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess.